0: is lit and a high tower will answer the call. Dragons grow restless. They snap and bite and burn with brutal intensity. A flower blooms where by all rights she should wither and die. A white cloak is soiled with black and red. But a green flame burns brighter than dragon fire. It is a call to arms burning with the heat of a mother who would not see her children harmed. The heat of a daughter who would not see her father destroyed. The heat of a friend whose bond is broken. And all that remains is a
1: woman scorned. This is a Watch Party of Ice and Fire. We are your hosts, Solar... Velar Morghulis... Constance...
2: We light the way... Uzma... Greetings, lords and ladies... Morgan... Hello...
1: And myself, Sam. In this podcast, we'll be talking everything and anything, a world of ice and fire. In this episode, we are talking about the fifth episode of House of the Dragon, We Light the Way. In this episode, Damon unceremoniously kills his badass wife Rhea. Wedding bells are chiming as a very sickly Viserys personally makes his way to the Valerians to propose a marriage between Rhaenyra and Laenor, which is accepted. Rhaenyra and Laenor agree to keep the marriage strictly professional so they can both pursue their other interests, uh, aka side pieces. Uh, this does not sit well with, Mr- with Sir McSteamy, as he was hoping to run away with Rhaenyra and gain some honor back. In King's Landing, Otto Hightower is on his way out after being sacked, but has some advice for Alicent and on how she should plan for Aegon to be king. Upon learning about the Maester's late night moon tea delivery to Rhaenyra, Alicent confronts Mr. Misimi about her movements the night Daemon's return, only to learn it was him who had been in bed with Rhaenyra. Finally, it's wedding time and everyone is showing up with the Valyrians walking in showing who runs shit now, and Alicent rocking a green dress interrupts the king during a speech. Daemon arrives uninvited with an air of I killed my wife to marry Rhaenyra. Laenor's paramour, Joffrey Lonmouth confronts Sir Mixtimi about their shared interest in the Rhaenyra and Laenor's and marriage, only to be fucking mowed down by Sir Criston in a fury. Criston is about to kill himself when Allison interrupts. We then end with a somber wedding ceremony as Laenor and Rhaenyra say their vows in a messy hall and Viserys crumbles from sickness. Be sure to listen and pay close attention as you can elevate your maester's rank and win links and prizes by listening to the podcast and answering our trivia. Before we get into the episode, we are starting with our segment, For the Love of Lore, where I'll be going over anything involving history, culture, and customs in the world of Ice and Fire. The council will then discuss the lore and how it affects the current episode. In today's lore, we're talking about oaths and vows. So the topic of oaths frequently comes up in the world of ice and fire. Um, There's oaths to family, to marriage, knighthood, religion, and then of course oaths to fealty, to lords and ladies and kings. Um, Some take oaths more seriously than others. Uh, A single individual is known to take on multiple oaths at once. Um, this can create some contradictions with these oaths. A uh, perfect example is Jamie Lannister of the King's Guard uh, and his knighthood when, in regards to Eris wanting to burn down King's Landing. Uh, he says, and I quote, so many vows, they make you swear and swear. Defend the king, obey the king, obey your father, protect the innocent, defend the weak. But what if your father despises the king? What if the king massacres the innocent? It's too much. No matter what you do, you're forsaking one vow for the for another. Uh, most oaths tend to have a religious aspect to them. Um, you usually swear to a king and a lord as well as the seven go- gods, the old gods, or whatever other religion you may follow. Um, like the um, crows in the Night's Watch, they usually swear an oath to the Night's Watch as well as like to their religion. So like... Sam and John both did their oaths in front of a uh, weirwood tree to the old gods. Um, The requirements for the Kingsguard, Night's Watch, Macers, and the Faith of the Seven um, are similar. Uh, They drop all family ties. There's no marriages, no children. Um, There is a vow of celibacy. Um, The Night's Watch and Kingsguard, it's a little more flexible, but it is thrown in there. Um, They can't own land, and they serve these for life. Um, There is a lot of oath-breaking, as we see in the World of Ice and Fire. Um, More often than not, I feel like there's more oath-breaking than oath-keeping. It's considered a very serious crime, um, also considered sacrilege, as most oaths are religious. Uh, Regicide is um, already bad, but then you throw in the Kingsguard oath, and it's kind of this mind-blowing bad thing that you could do. Um, but Jamie got away with that because he was uh, pardoned by Robert Baratheon. Uh, the only thing worse um, in breaking your oaths is kinslaying and guess right. Um, that's like the worst form of oath breaking. Uh, you know, you're going into someone's home where you're supposed to protect you and you kill them. You basically made an oath by eating bread and salt and then you killed your, um, your host, breaking guess right or vice versa. And then kinslaying, you're just not supposed to kill your family. Go figure. Um, There are massive penalties for breaking oaths. Um, They vary on which oath is broken and who the oath is associated with. Um, Some lords who have risen up in rebellion who have given oaths to their king or their lord, but they eventually surrender, are usually forgiven. Um, But this is definitely dependent on the lord or king that you are rebelling against and breaking an oath against, which a lot of the time mostly ends up with you uh, with your head on a spike. Uh, Maesters and Faith of the Seven, usually there's no death, but they're usually just expelled from um, the Faith or the Order of the Maesters. And then Kingsguard, um, they will be relieved of their position, which is extremely rare. That usually doesn't happen. Um, usually it's death that will happen. Uh, and then of course, the Nice Watch, um, they have exceptions, obviously. The Molestown brothels are usually ignored um desertion absolutely means death in the night's watch there's no way getting around that but if a brother decides to um desert but then comes back they're usually forgiven and everything's all good um as i've mentioned a few times there's multiple organizations that you make an oath to the maesters on um, the septons of the faith of the seven the night's watch and obviously the king's guard Um, making oath to the Kingsguard is seen as one of the highest honors. Um, many Kingsguard have really towed the line of oath breaking. Um, honor seems to be the driving force with most knights in the Kingsguard when it comes to actually keeping their oaths. Um, but a lot of their oaths really come in conflict with being a knight and being a Kingsguard. Um, we see certain situations, not the best example, but Marin Trant kind of beating up Sansa. He's supposed to be like protecting the people, but he's listening to his king at the same time. So is he breaking an oath? I mean, he's a terrible person, so that's like kind of besides the point. But is he breaking an oath or is he doing what he's supposed to? Uh, we've seen other Kings Guard break their oaths before, especially in the current um, A Song of Fire series. Uh, Eris Oakheart has a relationship with Arianne Martell, and he even swears to put Marcella on the throne um, per, her, per Arianne's ask. Uh, Marin Trant just existing, I feel like, is kind of an oath breaker, but you know, whatever, we can get into that later. Uh, And then obviously, Jamie Lannister killing Ares, fathering children with Cersei. Jamie is weirdly one of the most honorable, yet most dishonorable knights in all of uh, Westeros. And then we have Chris and Cole in this episode. Um, You could probably make some arguments, I think, with Chris and Cole actually sleeping with Queen Rhaenyra. But I think the point of his, um, he was breaking his oath by kind of sleeping with the person, he, like royalty, he was supposed to protect and kind of serve. And like, he, you know, she's supposed to be getting married eventually. Who And then whoever she marries is who he's going to eventually protect. So he sees this as he was completely dishonorable. And that's kind of like why he's breaking his oath. Um, but what all do you think of... Um, O's oath breaking and obviously Kristen Cole's apparent oath breaking. Uh, Constance, we can start with you.
3: Um, I think that the oaths in it's like it's kind of like what we have remnants of this to this day in our own culture, like when you put your hand on a Bible and you swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, or when people in the government swear on a copy of the Constitution to uphold the laws. It's it's a deeply rooted tradition to say what you're going to do and stick to it and i think it's even more important in a culture like westeros than it is to ourselves that you that you be a man of your word, that you be a man of your honor uh, and i think it's christian cole made a big mistake but we'll we'll discuss him in greater detail it's like he he forsake his honor for the sake of a little nookie even though he probably would have gotten in just as much trouble if he told her no It's that damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of situation when your boss's daughter wants to sleep with you. And if you say no, then she's going to say, well, he slept with me anyways, you know, it it could go horribly wrong for him. So he was in a kind of a, a bad position to choose the lesser of his oaths and give up one for the other to maintain, you know, a good relationship with Rhaenyra, which obviously he loves her. But, you know, love is the death of duty, so... (laughs) <laughs> there we go. That's that's a common thread in, in the world of ice and fire. Um, but Uzma, what what is your thoughts on the on the whole thing about the oaths? Uh,
2: before the oath, uh, I would like to say I don't think he loves her because he put her in harm's way when he told about what he did to uh, Alicent. And- so, uh, I don't think he loves her. But as for the oaths, yes, uh, we've already uh, discussed it uh, before as well. And as Sam said, uh, that these uh, oaths are considered uh, like sacrilegious. Uh, they are to be followed. Even uh, the minors, even the smallest of details, if they, uh, like, uh, for example, uh, disobeying disobey, your king. If someone disobeys the king, the king has the right to Kill that person as we saw with Rob and Rickard Kars, Karschak. And so uh, these oaths are supposed to be followed. And uh, when uh, the reason uh, for the Knights, uh, King's Guard, the reason they uh, these oaths existed was because personal feelings would not get in the way. And as we saw with Christian Cole, uh, that's what happens when personal feelings get in the way. Uh, and he put Rainira in harm's way when he decided to tell about her their personal relationships and it would not just affect uh, like uh, he says uh, that Rainira spoiled his honor uh, like he was she was responsible but if he hadn't told uh, told anyone uh, the actions of the king's guards go in the white book uh, if, although it, it's written by the uh, lord commander of the king's guards so if no one found out about it his white book would have been cleaned uh, clean none of none, no one have, would have found out about it so he still knew didn't didn't yeah. matter if anybody
3: else knew whether or not his honor had been besmirched he knew that his honor had been besmirched and that's where it was important and i like the word besmirched and that's
2: why these vows uh, had been put in place mm-hmm. what about you morgan
0: so I don't, I don't agree that him putting her in danger necessarily means that he doesn't love her. A lot of people make really dumb decisions, especially around love. Uh, but I'll get more into that later. Um, as far as oaths go, I think part of the problem with this whole society uh, is that all these oaths are created equal when they probably shouldn't be, right? Like, if you create yeah. some sort of a hierarchy and be like, yeah, you can break this oath if it's to uphold this oath, because this oath is more important. But if you say, no, 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 all oaths are sacred, You're if you swore an oath not to take water from that well, but then you see this woman dying and she needs some water and you swore an oath not to leave someone to die, well, now you're screwed. Now you're going to be an oath-breaker. Right? It's a silly example, but the point is, you if you make everything equal, if you take out the gray in society and make everything an all-or-nothing decision, you create more gray, because people are going to have to start breaking those oaths and start making those hard decisions for themselves. It's kind of what makes the story a little fun. I'm, I'm I'm going to say I like it, but yeah, it's not healthy. Just a little fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about you, solar? What are your thoughts?
4: <laughs> Words are wind as far as like the whole old system goes. I've been reading these books for a long time. I've been watching the show. And what I got to say is Sir Steamy of Dumbass really needed like a week off to really get his head together. Because, um, you know, if he was really concerned about his honor, then he should have stayed off her. You know what I mean? Um, exactly. But, um, it really comes down to, "Oh, I made an oath, I made a vow of chastity. I don't have anything to my name. I'm poor, and now I'm doing good, and blah, 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 blah. I'm look. La- I'm like, if you're willing to kill yourself for your sullied honor and all that stuff, then, um, take a jump out the moon door for not sleeping mm. with the princess. When she was like, hey, you know, I'd kind of like to be your sheath for a minute. So as far as like the oaths and the seriousness goes, I always thought that that was kind of stupid in the context of these stories. Because when you really look at just the history, um, I like that Morgan brought up all oaths having equal severity, Um, In theory, and I want to bring up that not everyone is held to their oaths the same. I mean, we've got the whole late Walter Frey. We've got all of the damned intrigue and backstabbing to try and take the throne away from the family that you swear fealty to. So, I mean, oaths don't really mean a whole lot, except when it comes to keeping up appearances. So... The way that all of this stuff goes, I'm just looking at it like, you know, you guys are doing a whole lot to play at this great big costume game. You know, so really the oaths that were taken, um, I'm down with the whole I took an oath to do my job and my job is to keep this person alive. And that's it. And if chastity is part of it, then it really could have been like, you know, how can I put this? Oh, the princess who I've bonded with emotionally and who I think is hot like dragonfire um is someone that I'm having a hard time concerning my cardinal thoughts on. So, I'm going to resign my post and go back to Dorne. That that's what should have happened had there been had there really been seriousness of oath-keeping. But there isn't. There's just a whole lot of playing at it, you know. <laughs> Um, and as far as the severity of, you know, Morgan brings up the great Catch-22s that, um, that Jamie Lannister brought up. It's like the King's Guard is to protect the king, but a knight is to protect the people. And there's nothing in the contract that says um, now that you've taken this oath, it cancels out the other. You're just supposed to, supposed to hold up all these different promises, including the contradicting ones. And, um, it's just, it's all hilarious to me, but then I've always been team Knightswall and team small folk. So, you know, uh, honestly, I get the necessity of the oaths and I get why oaths are there. Like, real talk, the, um, Uzma brings up a good point of, you know, they take the vow of chastity to make sure that their feelings don't get in the way, um, in regards to if they're guarding someone and they fall in love with them, that would be a problem. If they had their own kids, that would be a problem. And let's not talk about the secession problem. You know, if if the Night's Watch is there or the, the King's Guard is there to look over the queen and the princesses, we really got to know who the little princes belong to. You know, and that that's all a really, really... Big part of the rules, but as far as like taking the oaths and all that stuff goes, great on paper, not well thought out. So yeah, not to mention all of the nobles that get to break their vows and break their oaths and not end up being gelded or heads on spikes or, you know. So it's just all another unnecessary layer of the game of power. That that's what I look at. So, but we'll get we'll we'll get to serve Vavoom of 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 Big Mouth a little bit later because, yeah, he merits some discussion in this one.
1: (laughs) Just a bit. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, that is our Love and Lore segment. Uh, Moving on, we have the dragons in the details where Constance and Uzma will be going over small details you may have missed in the episode as well as the fantastic costumes, props, and sets used. After you, Constance and Uzma.
2: Okay, so the first scene we are going to discuss is Damon uh, trying to kill Rhea Royce. But did he really try to kill uh, Rhea Royce? Uh, Because uh, when I uh, paused, slowed down the the scenes and paused it, it kind of looks like he slowly moves towards the horse and when uh, the horse jumps, he tries to hold the reins uh, because uh, it was Rhea Royce uh, who got afraid and her sudden movement... uh, maybe it was the horse jumped because of her sudden movement as you can see he's trying to catch uh, the reins so i don't think he went there with the intention of killing reiros maybe Maybe he just wanted to scare her, or maybe after ten times being exiled to go see his wife, he finally decided to do it. But uh, it didn't. Uh, I didn't. Th- I don't think that he re- his real intention was to go and kill her. Uh, but it. Kind of things uh, played out that way. And and even then, when she falls, he was not trying to kill her. He uh, puts his shoe on her arm, maybe just to see whether she can move or not, and then decides to leave. But it was uh, after she provoked him, he picks up the rock and kills her. So as you can see, he's slowly moving towards the horse. And then only after she moves, suddenly the horse jumps, and he's trying to hold the reins. Uh, and then she falls. Uh, he didn't do anything to make her falls. And yes, I'm aware of this meme going around, <laughs> how much you, you can justify Naaman's crown, but uh, is there any character who is black and white? <laughs> <laughs> no. Seriously.
4: <laughs> Did they make that specifically for this podcast? That's all I want to know. <laughs> <laughs>
2: like, <laughs> all I can say, no one is... Uh, completely black and white. Everyone has their flaws. and <laughs> So, it's okay, what do you guys think? Uh, did he go there with the specific intention to kill Rhea Royce? Or was he... Uh, the, did he just took advantage of a situation? What do you, all of the, you think?
0: Okay. I don't think he went there to kill her. I don't even think he necessarily took advantage of the situation. I think he had every intention of leaving her possibly to die. He was kind of cool with that, didn't really care. But then she yeah. insulted his virility and he snapped because that's been a running problem for him. Told him he couldn't keep it up, could not finish. Just saying, I think that's where he what, what did it? What did her in?
1: I think, uh, Uzma, for for your sake and your sake alone, I'm going to agree and say that Damon (laughs) didn't go there to kill her.
2: (laughs) I mean, you can see him slowly walking towards the horse and trying to catch the reins. What do you guys think? What do you think, Constance? I think he's
3: an opportunist. He probably didn't go to kill her, but when he saw that he had the chance to be free of her, he took it. And uh, after we hear from from Solar, I wanted to talk a little bit about her armor that she's wearing, because I found out something really cool about that. So uh, I want Solar to go ahead and give his two cents (laughs) on the topic before I launch into her costume.
4: So do I think he went there to kill her? Yes. I just didn't think he planned on doing it right then. Um, What I definitely noticed was he's like, "Okay, I'm here. And how can I put this? One... If the sheep are prettier than the women in the veil, then maybe I should go buy a sheep. I don't know because she is gorgeous. <laughs> she was good um, And the second part is, um, is, is seriously, when he was there, it was like, all right, here I've walked into the situation where I knew the person was mad at me. So what I saw was, all right, I am going to have to kill her eventually, but let me just take my licks right now. Okay, okay, okay. Ooh, she has informants. Um, I definitely saw the thing of, well, um, I didn't plan on killing you today, but you're down there. And yeah, the insulting of the cocksmanship, it was like, ah, since she's expecting me to do it, I'm going to be a dutiful husband and give her the one thing (laughs) that she wants that I've never been able to give, you know? But do I think he went there specifically to kill her? No. Um, because one thing we can definitely tell about Damon is one, he does not ever deny anything, which is kind of fun. Um, but second, he never only has a singular plan. Everything he, every action he does is layered. So I think killing her was on the agenda. It's just her falling off the horse like that and him like, oh, you can't move. Well, that's one less thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> And yeah, so I'm with the opportunist thing. Um, So, yeah, I will say that, yes, I think he went there to kill her, just not that day. I think he went to regroup and the opportunity presented itself. So especially after he'd been exiled from Dragonstone and Driftmark and King's Landing and the Stormlands. And it's like, well, since I got nowhere else to go, I guess I'll go home and deal with my wife that hates me, you know. At least until I can kill her realistically. Mm. Yeah, that's a thing. Mm. So that's what I think.
2: What was the second or third time uh, Viserys said, go Go back to your wife?
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And
2: And he'd already twice asked for a second wife. It's like, he's like, I want to
3: marry (laughs) so-and-so. You already have a wife. Didn't stop Aegon.
1: Well, now (laughs) I don't have
3: a first wife, so.
1: I love the Targaryen. I love the Targaryen excuse of, well, Aegon did it. Why can't I? (laughs) So good.
4: (laughs) hey, well, you know what? A lot of cultures have, what would Jesus do? And it's like, hey, what would Aegon do? He would marry his sister and burn a bunch of people. So I, I'm going to go for a relative and, and some violence, you know?
3: Well, let's talk about the Royces, right? For just a quick moment. You can see that she's got on this very stylized leather and bronze armor. The Royces of Runestone are one of the oldest houses in the Vale that are descended from the First Men and were kings of the Vale at one point, up until the point where the the veil started to solidify under the errands and everything but uh the armor is inscribed with ancient runes that date back to the bronze kings in the earliest ages of the first men and if you uh, get a good close-up of her armor which we don't have but there was a user on reddit named the great maligan who was able to and could read the runes. And the runes are actually taken from Scandinavian law in the Codex Runiscus, which is a documentation of laws and order that were kept at, among, among the earliest historical law documents. And the text actually says, if a man wounds another man while the king is in the province, he shall pay a fine for the wound in accordance to the law, 40 marks or coins to the king, and 40 marks for the breach of peace to the one who was wounded. So it's kind of ironic that she's got this ancient armor on that talks about somebody getting attacked, and uh, <laughs> it's thank you, thank you, great Malagan for that for that that little tidbit because that's just a fascinating mm-hmm. costume detail that they would actually take actual Scandinavian codex runes and put them on her armor, and I know that's something that prop makers do is they'll they'll put in things like actual historical text just for the sake of fans finding it and discussing it on the internet. So. That's that's Rhea. So I want to just bring that point up because that's a fantastic little detail that they put in on her costume. So let's go with our next topic then, which is the Driftwood Throne. Ooh, there's some good shit in Driftmark, mm-hmm. isn't there? <laughs> um, The Driftwood Throne, according to the lore, was given to the Valarians by the Merling King as part of a pact between their two houses. Now, his stories predate the coming of the Andals, so we're going back to the stories of the First Men. So, again, very, very old. Uh, The the Merling King is a god amongst sailors who actually has shrines in Bravos in the House of Black and White. Uh, And that's about all we really know. But if we look at this here, it looks like it's definitely made out of a part of a ship. You can see that you've got the more carved throne on the left-hand side. Or right-hand side of the throne, rather, if you're sitting on it. And the left looks like a carved bow of a ship. So this is a very old, old, old symbol of power for the Valarians, And it's a really baller move when you invite the k- The king comes to your castle. Nobody's there to meet him. He walks into your throne room, and you're sitting on your throne. That's a power move. And Corliss is saying, I've got all the power in this case. Um, but there's... Yeah, I thought Corliss was yeah. saying,
4: sup. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you're, you're, you're the one coming to me. What do you want? <laughs> I'm the one with all the cards.
2: It, ac- <laughs> it actually felt like he was doing Viserys a favor when he bent on oh, yeah. him. He- he
3: was he was saying it it's like the you're you're in my house you're going to show me respect but you're king so I'll do the king thing for you <laughs> just just out of courtesy what else do we got to do I know there's quite a bit here to look at there's so many details
2: uh, but before that I would like to discuss oh, yeah. the painting uh, we already discussed this painting, uh, which was in the room with the skulls. In, uh, if you'll check out our pre, one of our previous episodes, you'll see we've discussed this room before. Uh, on the, but uh, the painting we could see at the time was on the left side, where we saw Kraken and crocodiles mm-hmm. or yeah. something, right? <laughs> yeah, and uh, so on the extreme right side of that painting, we can we can see a ship and uh as you can see there are little uh, shields so uh, it's uh, and you can see the dragon figurehead so uh, these are valerian ships carrying aegon's army for uh, the conquest we've already seen this uh painting in one of the previous uh trailers and we've discussed it uh, in one, uh, one of our trailer discussions uh, before uh, you can see the uh, this is the Painting we mm-hmm. discussed earlier, uh, where uh, there was a ship with a dragon figurehead and Armies, uh, Aegon's uh, ships. So that's what we saw. After that, we have, as you can see, there are, there's a ship of Vestros and what else can we see? Oh, there's a ton questions. of
3: details. It's, it's like this is his treasure room, right? All of his expeditions, all of his adventures, he brings things home and he puts them on display. Uh, there's what looks like an astrolabe up on the top portion over on the landing that looks like it's being held up by several hands. There's a map of what looks like, uh, it's either Westeros or Essos. I can't tell from this angle, but it looks more like Essos to me because you can kind of see where, you, you marked it as a Westerosi map, but if you look right there, yeah, Westeros is there because if you look right at the very middle, it looks like Valeria, the the Broken Islands of Valeria. So, yeah, I think it's Westeros and Essos on a big map. So, it makes sense. He's a world traveler. He would know what the world looks like, and he would he would have a better idea than most people what the the continental shape is.
2: And is this a statue of a horse?
3: I think so. <laughs> yeah kind of hard to say there's so much to look at I mean it's, it's such a great richly detailed there's
2: this huge shell uh, next to the there's, throne as yeah in. there's
3: a huge nautilus shell in golden mm-hmm. blue uh, it's just such a beautiful shot there's so much to look at
2: and, uh, you can see there's some uh, there's uh, like a city yeah it's like a model of a city over there it kind of reminded me of uh, King Viserys' uh, Valyrian structure yeah it's kind of similar but it's hard to tell which place is it. Uh, is it Driftmark or something else? No, I don't think it's Driftmark. I
3: think it's I think it's another city. I think uh, it's hard to say because we don't know the context between all the background details. But it does look Valyrian in design. It it does strongly resemble the King's models. So maybe it's another city that was in Valyria.
2: Or maybe it is from one of his travels, or uh, mm-hmm. some other place.
0: I could be wrong, but it reminds me of Volantis. It's okay. Yeah.
2: Could be.
4: I, I was thinking either Volantis or or um, Lys.
2: Okay. Both of which are good guesses. And we can see there. We know are-
4: it's not a shy.
2: <laughs> 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 and we can see there are men carrying this city on their backs. Yeah. Classic won. Atlas
3: poses. <laughs> yeah. And so this beautiful. is the
2: sea urchin we discussed in one of our very first few episodes, yeah, right? Yeah, I think
3: so. <laughs> it's kind of fun to see everything in greater detail. Uh, oh, look,
2: it's Lionel Strong. And, and when the fight broke out, uh, it's uh, at first it uh, seemed like, uh, at least that's what I thought, that... Uh, sir harwin took advantage of it and just jumped into the fray because he was enjoying it but when i rewatch this scene it seems like uh, he gives him a seg- signal to stop the f- fight and uh, he tells him to jump in and stop it and that's when uh, sir harwin jumps uh, into the fight and later we see him carrying uh, throw renira on his shoulders and he carries her to safety they call him Breakbones
3: for a reason, right? I mean, <laughs> the guy is supposed to be one of the strongest men in Westeros, so.
4: hmm I mean, so strong, it's strong. his name.
2: Strong. <laughs> <laughs> and this was the first time they had, uh, like, uh, they got re- a chance to re- get close and talk to each other, right? hmm <laughs> And he just throws her on her, his shoulder and carries her to safety. <laughs> and what do we have next, Constance.
3: Well, lastly, we're going to talk about, as usual, Alicent's costume choices. This just seems to be a continuing thread of mine, but it's because the costumes are so symbolic. Uh, In this case, first of all, she starts off in her red and gold Targaryen outfit. She's still in her place as queen, right? But as 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 soon as her father's gone, as soon as she's alone and by herself, she changes back into her blue dress. This is because her color is blue. She's always wearing blue when she has a chance, when it's her choice. But comes the time when she's dressed in High Tower Green. And let's just stop on that image for a quick moment so I can discuss it. Uh, it's a green brocade with embroidery gold on the undersleeves and then a split sleeve coming down from the elbow with an inner silk of a lighter shade of green. She's got gold clasps going across the bust and you could see a little bit of the decolletage shown off there as well. Emerald necklace, emerald earrings, no crown, no tiara, no jewels, just her hair up in a simple braid. But the important part is this dress is green. This is the color of the high towers, And as Laris Strong, also known as Clubfoot, the, the weaselly little brother of the, you know, the Strongs, the color that this is that they wear when they go to war. She's signifying that she's done being manipulated by the Targaryens, by her father. She is taking herself. She's taking her possession of herself. She is a high tower. She's not going to be manipulated by her fa- husband. She's not going to be manipulated by her father. She has become her own woman. With her own agenda. Which is protecting her interests. As as Morgan's beautiful introduction put. She's a woman scored and betrayed. She's been lied to. She's been manipulated. She's been used. This is the first time that she's actually come into her own. And is seizing her own power. And this is the this is the Allison that we're going to see going forward. And if you ever hear us mention the Greens and the Blacks. This is the Greens. This is where the Greens begins. Um, so this is a very important moment. And they chose to highlight this with her dramatic entrance into the hall all eyes on her interrupting the king's beautiful speech about uniting the dragons blah 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 but it
2: kind of felt
3: like declaration mm, of war <laughs> it, it was it really was it was i am no longer supporting the Tagarians. i've been used by them i've been lied to by them i am a high tower i'm going to protect the high tower interests from here on out So she's basically uh, saying that she's ready to start fighting and it's also the color of envy. Maybe she's jealous of Rhaenyra having her cake and eating it too. She's stuck in a marriage without any joy or passion. Why should Rhaenyra get to have this handsome knight and a husband that's going to let her have her handsome knight? right so <laughs> mm-hmm. the green color may have multiple layers of symbolism above and beyond high tower green but that's the primary is that's the high tower's color this is so.
2: the last uh, episode where we have seen her in a black and red gown because uh, up until now she uh, it w- it felt like she was thinking she was a part of the targaryen family that mm-hmm. she was uh, a targaryen as well she was trying to accept their ways their customs even though she hated them uh the way she talked to Renira, right? it felt that way. But uh it seems like uh, from now on she's abandoning abandoning their customs and everything. She's uh she will be a proud high tower from now on. Mm-hmm.
3: Yep. Hmm. That's what this says. Uh so that's all I've got for today for the dragons and the details. Uh is there anything else Isma or is that good for us? I think that's
2: all. Back to you Sam. Okay.
1: Awesome. Thank you very much.
4: Hello everyone. my name is Jordan Reynolds and with my friend Katie, we are both working to create and share art for all of our favorite fandoms at Four Cats Boutique on Etsy. We have bookmarks, so many stickers, earrings, prints of all sizes, super small, and all the way up to 24 by 30 inches to really show off all of your favorite characters. We have coloring books, keychains, and always more on the way. So if you want a Hobbit hole bookmark, or a set of Legend of Zelda Korok earrings, stickers for all of your favorite Marvel characters, or a big wall art poster of the Night's Watch vows words so that you can recite them every time you need to pump yourself up, head over to Four Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's the number four and cats with a K. You can even use the code WATCHPARTY10 to get a 10% discount. That's Four Cats Boutique on Etsy.
1: And then we move on to our Raven's Eye segment where Solar will be talking about the cinematography and directorial choices made and how they affected the episode. To you,
4: Solar. Welcome to the Raven's Eye segment. Now, today we're going to talk about the elephant in the room, and that is the climactic few scenes of the final act of this episode. Um, I thought a lot about which ones to do. This, this episode since this is the last episode where we get to see young Renera and um, young Alicent and saying goodbye to those two fantastic actors. I, I look forward to seeing what they do from this point forward. But let's talk about Westeros and weddings. Now, the cinematography of this particular episode is very, very, very telling. Um, When we begin the wedding, when everyone's coming in and you've got, um, you've got a whole lot of symbolism of grandeur, of largeness. Now, this particular wedding was very much the cinematic expression of Viserys as king from beginning to end. We start with grandness. We start with a huge hall with all of the candles and everyone with all of their Sunday best and the huge table. But as we look a little closer, it's just him and Princess Ray Ray. Where's his queen? Oh, she's still getting ready. Um, And all of the shots are very large to show how big the hall is, how many people are there, what the throne room of King's Landing looks like When they're having people over and they decide to turn the lights on and, you know, not necessarily pick up all the swords on the ground, but, you know, turn the lights on, set up a table, have some other people there. And as the show progresses and we go from take a look at this family and all of their machinations, um, our shots become tighter and tighter and we go from grandeur and best laid plans of mice and men. And yes, I said that for a specific reason, we'll get to that at the end to absolute claustrophobia. Um, kind of symbolizing that everything poor King Ares tries to do, um, goes beyond his scope, gets out of hand and he's blinded by the materials of everything that he tries to do. Um, when we are watching the scene of Rhaenyra at the at the table with the big old white dress, wink a wink a nudge a nudge um, and a hairstyle that's very reminiscent of Cersei Lannister, um, in season one, episode one, um, we see okay, everyone's in, everyone's playing their part, and we see the high towers walk in, you know, the the the. The house, high tower, and they walk through the grand hall, you know. And then we get the uh, good old bronze man Royce um, walking up to say something cool. But even beyond everything that's happening with the pageantry, then enters the Valerians in a shot that symbolizes these guys have had the power the entire episode. Um, while we were talking about dragons in the detail, Every interaction we've had between Corliss and King Aries, Corliss had the upper hand. And as soon as he walked in with his whole family mobbing deep, you pretty much should have been playing Biggie Small's Hail to the King. Uh, Just walking through the entire thing with the entire family looking regal AF. All right. They're going, Yeah, guess what? I went. And in between them, you got big old dad and um, um, Princess Nisi. Just leading that clan in. And it was it was just amazing. But from the moment they walked in, they were followed by the dude you just can't kick out of the bar. Every time you throw him out of the bar, you go back. And by the time you get back to behind the bar, there he is sitting at the theme. Um, the norm of King's Landing, <laughs> good old Damon Targaryen going what's so, up came down for the wedding how you doing how you doing how you what's up big brother hey how you doing guess what got a new haircut we doing the thing and <laughs> and i gotta say poor and i know i'm in the minority here but poor king aries with the well he's here somebody get him a chair oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> just don't mess up my daughter's wedding day you know just just don't mess up my da- don't mess up my daughter's wedding feast. This is going to be a cool party. This is going to be a thing. And every time he tries to do something cool, like rule a kingdom, uh, <laughs> he just can't keep it together. You know, he really can't. He is actually run by the weak force of physics, and all of his molecules just keeps getting pushed apart, pushed apart. Um, but we still have that sense of grandeur, and as Ranira and Laner um start their little dance and they have a nice little rapport like hey this is this is a marriage of convenience but we're actually pretty good friends so Let's just smile for the camera, do all that thing. And uh, let's hope this turns out as well as we think. So, you know, you almost got them thinking of, so, who is it that you're taking home? Oh, you know, I got my dude over there. Is it that redheaded guy that came in with all you guys and all that stuff? Well, you know, my family is a little dark, so we're with the big guy. You know, who 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 do you think the big white guy would be? My, my cook? You know, kind of thing happening on that. And um, it was all great and dandy. And then, of course, they started um, – when the King gave his speech about uniting the houses, boom, we had Alison coming in in her first slow motion entrance, as they would say in the, not another teen movie. And when she walked in from the, she's all that moment, every single shot started getting tighter and tighter and tighter. You know, we, we didn't get any more establishing shots. And of course, during the dance, We're trying to see things from the perspective of not just King Viserys, but from the throne itself. We got to see what the Iron Throne is looking at and all of the... I'm not going to say chaos, but all of the Brownian motion that happens around it that it tends to cause. From seeing the fun conversation between um, Uncle Touchy and Princess Ray Ray... um, in valerian to of course you know papa three fingers not being able to see um and then we have the two really intimate conversations that lead to pandemonium okay the tight whisper shots um between um Lenore and not that joffrey but Joffrey <laughs> um, saying, you know, if we know who her paramour is, we can kind of like strike up this like four way agreement, watch each other's back, kind of like be back to back to back to back to back. And he figures it out. Uh, he figures it's uh, Sir survey of simple man. Um, and that leads to yet another tight shot between um, no, seriously, not that Joffrey, but he has the ending. We wanted for Joffrey. Um, <laughs> And, of course, um, Sir Vavoom of um, – or Sir Snitch of face. And um, so we have that and we could see the boiling stuff going on in him. And again, we move yet again to claustrophobic paranoia to finally the explosion of the fight. And the fight is very important because – all of the claustrophobia and the chaos that we see on screen within that 10 minutes is priming us and prepping us with discomfort so that when the fight starts everyone is confused every single person is confused from viserys to uh princess ray ray um to um future um what is the name of the position? Prince consort, uh, Lenore. No one knows what's going on. Um, all we hear is a scream and a whole bunch of everybody running around. Now, when I was a younger man and I went to concerts, (laughs) I've seen many, 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 many fights break out in mosh pits and riots. And this was very much captured by someone who was probably at Woodstock 99. And, um, So once we have all that, you know, we get the very quick shot of the good hand telling his little brother, yo, uh, get the princess out of there because this is going to get ugly. Um, And good old um, Bonebreaker Strong going, you know, I'm always getting her out of trouble, be it in the alleys over by the whorehouses or in the living room. But you know what? That's my job. I guess I'll just pick her up. I'm just a gold cloak. I don't want the white cloak and all that stuff. Um, And then we get the fight scene that is more visceral than almost any other fight scene in this entire franchise. Um, we're watching just the visceral nature of um, Kristen. Um, we'll, we'll call it red and speckled, not quite white knight. Um just, pounding Joffrey's face in, like his last name were Baratheon and we all got our wish. And, you know, the breaking of his arm, the, the, the fact that he was essentially pushing everyone back. He even gave that strong right hand to Prince Lenor himself, <laughs> you know, like everything had just been stuck. And the claustrophobia of the scene was building along with um, <clears throat> Sir Bay of Finally Lost It's um, temper, getting bigger and bigger and bigger and a sense of overwhelmingness. And of course, from there, we go directly to the shotgun wedding and a stain on the floor. You know, So we have this big explosion, almost like the Doom of Valeria itself, considering that this is all chaos brought about by the Valerian bloodlines and it leads to a dark room with rotten food a shotgun wedding with a whole bunch of proper tears um and followed by the deterioration of the king so um this scene was very 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 perspective and um experiential based you know when we have um when we have these shots of getting tighter and tighter and more more crowded and not chaotic just more active with more camera movement more people on the camera getting closer and closer and crossing and speaking languages and having conversations it was literally like four episodes of game of thrones happening in one scene until it all hit the boiling point with what we've come to know as the um penultimate finale of a season you know so i think that this was well put together like um, did you guys notice some stuff that I haven't mentioned yet? We'll start with you this week, Sam, because you're 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 like that student in class that's almost like hiding behind his paperwork.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you. I think you. I mean, like you hit a lot of of the stuff that uh, that. I mean, you hit most of it. I think the one the one thing that I didn't like about I think the whole episode was whenever Allison walks in, and um the strong brothers are talking to each other. I didn't really like how they spelt it, spelt everything out. Like when, when Allison walked in, they were like, they were like, Oh, she's in green. Oh, she's interrupting the uh. King. It's like, no, yeah, <laughs> we see that. I like, I see it. I know I get it. So that was like the only part that I was just like, that was unnecessary. I would have rather just seen Allison walk slowly up. And like, that could have been it. But like, you mentioned, like, the, the scenes getting, like, tighter and claustrophobic. I was, like, stressed out that entire, <laughs> like, even before the fight. Like, like you could just feel like something was happening. Like, the tension was high. So, I, I definitely felt, like, the
4: tightness of the scenes. Yeah. And uh, I get Uzma, what you what about mean you? about the, oh. yeah. Uh, I definitely get what you mean about the, can you hear me in the back dialogue, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I just didn't need that part, but you know, it, it was still I still liked it. Don't get me wrong; it was just that part. I was just like, I don't, I don't need that. But yeah,
4: yeah. Uzma, Uzma,
1: how about uh, you?
2: Okay, uh, so Alison showing up and uh, interrupting the king's speech was a huge moment, and I loved how they showed it. Uh, like everything just stopped, and uh, they just focused on uh, Alison and her expression. She was really mad, and this was the uh, fourth person uh, to undermine uh Viserys at this point <laughs> if you'll count
4: that day practically <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> so you can uh, see uh, how much uh Viserys is lo- losing control over it and she uh, just walked in uh, over there and uh, as you guys say uh, said everything uh Yes, there was um, the fighting scene. It was really surprising because it came out of nowhere. Because when Joffrey uh, talked to Christian Cole, it seemed like everything was okay. He was done, he just moved on. <laughs> he, uh, After that, then uh, they were dancing. And uh, you can see uh, from Christian Cole's expression that everything is building up inside him. He is trying to tolerate it, but uh, he can't like take it anymore. And then suddenly the fight broke out, uh, and it was hard to see who started that fight. Uh, you can't see who threw the first first punch, but I think we can all guess who uh, who did it. <laughs> <laughs> there, uh, when you, uh, there was a short uh, ga- uh, clip where when you paused it, you can see a person with a black with black hair uh, falling back. So it might have been Christian Cole. So that was the fight we only got a glimpse of and uh, behind from there. And OK, what do you think, uh, Constance?
3: Well, I want to bring up something that, that my husband had brought up, uh, that the closing scene of the shotgun wedding is juxtaposed with the Kari of Christian Cole right where he's in the weirwood he's got his sword he's ready to take his own life to defend his honor and alicent walks in and just says his name when does that take place because she's clearly in the last scene when the king collapses so when does she go to him in the weirwood and say don't kill yourself i've got other plans for you does that take place before or after (laughs)
4: Uh, Um, cinematically speaking, I would say it took place before.
3: That was my Um, guess, yeah.
4: Yeah, given that, um, you know, again, that whole cross-cutting and all that stuff, and I think Silence of the Lambs spoiled us, with the, when you see cross-cutting like that, it is absolutely, um, something that's happening simultaneously. Like, no, they're raiding the wrong house, kind of thing. Spoilers for a 30-year-old movie, by the way. (laughs) Um, but yeah, the, um... But the second bit is um, what's really important with all of this um, when it comes to the juxtaposition and Allison really asserting her power or really deciding to become a player in the game. Um, it's very much the thing that happens before, because if if she had just bailed on the king after he fell down with a bloody face, um, there there is no recovering from that. But. During the gathering of everyone (laughs) to have that shotgun wedding and getting the septum down down there and making sure that the faces are at least not as bloody as they could be. There was a good 20, 30 minutes, um, you know, just in clearing out the hall after the fight. You know, my thought was Um, Christian Cole
3: would have gone straight away. Like as soon as he walked out of the hall, he went to go. Yes. With
4: that whole. Yeah, with that whole dating myself, Jimmy Swaggered, I have seen, I have sullied my honor twice in the same week, you know. And um yeah, so that that was very much that that was very much a Kristen Cole, then wedding, then crumbling of um the Leper King kind of thing. You know, just cinematically speaking.
3: Mm-hmm. Morgan, my dear, you have been awfully quiet. It's your turn
0: during this scene the the fight at the end which turned very one-sided um i don't think my emotional reaction was the intention of the director
4: hmm go on
0: because what i saw was a queer man go and try to protect his ability to keep his lover. And then a straight man beat him to death. Okay. And uh, I have seen this in many movies. I don't think that was the intention here, but that's what happened. Mm-hmm. And it hit me in a way.
4: Oh, please go on. Go on. Because what are
0: I mean, I... uh, I don't want to get into the gay panic defense or the trans panic defense kind of stuff. Um, But we we see them have a discussion, walk away from each other. Later, we see him beating him well past the point of death, just smashing him until his face is nothing. Mm -hmm. This is more then I don't I don't like you or you're a threat to me this is you represent something that I hate okay that you are disgusting to me and I will destroy you that is how I read that scene and uh, then I got to see Leonor Grieve and yeah that hit me a lot
4: In truth, I'm glad you brought that up because um, we have been looking at this from a very heteronormative lens. And this is very much one of those things where a lot of perspectives can just go right past somebody that isn't living in the middle of it. So seriously, thank you for bringing that up. That is a lens I'll have to rewatch the whole thing through as well. I mean, please go on if there's more. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Uh, I, I don't know if there's more uh, but I I am going to get into a little more probably when we get into uh, our questions because I've got questions regarding this in the next segment.
1: Okay. Uh, and now for our main segment Fire and Blood where the whole council digs into some of the biggest moments that came up in the episode. Uh, Morgan, as usual, you've got some questions for us. I absolutely
0: do. Um, we are already in the dense heart of this sequence so i'm going to skip my usual who's your favorite character what's your favorite moment type question and go straight into the character's motivations so my first question for y'all is thoughts on rainera's choices in this episode you can pick any choices any choice uh, and tell us what you think is really going on in their head, why you think she made that choice, what have you. I'm going to start with Constance.
3: Um, the choice I'd have to pick is her very open and understandable agreement with Lenore. It's a beautiful conversation for two people that are being forced into a marriage neither one of them really wants. Neither one of them wants the other. But they're both being extremely open and extremely honest in veiled language, obviously, talking about duck and goose and et cetera, et cetera. But they're both giving each other permission to be happy. Which is a beautiful thing to see in an arranged marriage. Um, It's just one of those things where they could be miserable. Like you see other arranged marriages like Rhea and Damon. They're both unhappy as all hell. You've got... Alice and viserys they she's unhappy, obviously, but you know he's probably really pleased about having a wife that's you know twenty years younger. Um, but you see all these arranged marriages where there's no joy in them. But you watch the two of them together, and they've come to such a beautiful agreement that had things not gone completely off the rails, they could have had a very happy marriage with each other, with their paramours. So I like that decision. I like the fact that she was open. She was honest. They both, you know, came to a conclusion. They had a very happy agreement with each other. And it was cute watching the two of them flirt. Like you said, they're playing for the cameras. They both know they're not going to have a romantic relationship with each other. So let's just pretend that we do just so that we keep up appearances. But we're going to have fun while we do it. So that was like the only levity in this entire episode was the two of them getting to have that moment. Um...
2: But Usma, what, what do you think was Renira's number one decision in this? Uh, I would like to discuss her decision regarding not going with Christian Cole. Because it was more than just uh, not being a princess anymore. Uh, even if she wasn't uh, they named the heir of uh, the Seven Kingdoms, I think she still would have made the same choice. Because uh, of her great-aunt Sarah, because... Uh, we all know that uh, King Jaehaerys' daughter, Sarah, also ran away uh, to uh, the free cities. And she, in a pleasure house, uh, she uh, eventually she held a, ple- a pleasure house. And when the great council of 101 took place, the, out of the 14 claims, uh, there were her sons in it as well, and their claims were completely disregarded just because they uh, she fled away. Uh, and I think uh, it was another part of the reason, uh, besides, uh, like it was simply out of the question that she would go, we all know that. <laughs> but besides that, she probably grew up uh, hearing Jaehaeris talk about her and how she dishonored the family, she ran away. So it could have been part of that decision. But there was no way uh, she would have gone there with uh, Christian Cole. And I think uh, it was too presumptuous of Christian that he would think that a princess would run away with him just because uh, he slept with her one time (laughs) and abandoned everything for him.
3: (laughs) Got the impression it was more than once. But (laughs) yeah, yeah. (laughs) it was... was it was rather uh, rather egotistical of him to think that she would give up everything for for the sake of running. It feels away with like him.
2: he was mostly thinking about himself. That uh, he felt he felt guilty for breaking his wo- vows, so he thought he could make it okay by marrying her, by running away with her, which is not how it works. What do you think, Sola?
4: The decision of Rainera, um well, how can I put this? I think her dumbest decision in the entirety of the episode was getting in the tête-à-tête with Damon on the dance floor. Um, In truth, I think she really should have just shut that conversation down, given the level of reputation, the reason of marriage, and all of the political fallout that was coming through from all this jazz. I'm like, dude, why are y'all talking? (laughs) why are y'all okay you're dancing you're dancing you're dancing and switch dance partners but she didn't and not only that her decision to goad and assert her power aggressively at that point was not a very wise decision i think that that was a time for soft power and just avoiding the um avoiding the situation to get through that night so that that that's where I'm sitting with that one because she made a lot of decisions this episode, but that was the only one that stood up to me. Where I was literally talking to the TV, going, "Why are you playing this game? Why are you taking the bait? <laughs> Why are you? This is not the time nor place." You know, this. Re- I mean, the conversation should have been, "You bastard!" Um, yada yada yada. Um, I should be. You know, I shouldn't be talking to you. How dare you! say what you said like Mr. I don't deny anything or whatever like you put me in a compromising position and I wanted you to put me in a more compromising position and you walked away now you're trying to compromise me here come on man you know so yeah it it really should have been a time and place and this ain't it and now ain't then that's what I think she should have done and she didn't do it and then she ended up looking like she was making out with Uncle Touchy on the dance floor and Again, just bad call all the way across the board. What about
1: you, Sam? Uh, I guess like it, talking about Rhaenyra's choice with like kind of going off of the the Lannor and uh, Rhaenyra kind of coming into it, going into a pact. Like that was a great decision. I think. I think her decision to like so kind of like, kind of like flippantly kind of tell uh, Sir Kristen like oh we can still we can still hang out like it's cool I think that she was a bit she kind of like wasn't thinking of the whole like he's a Kingsguard I don't think she really understood his mindset of like I'm a Kingsguard honor 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 but like him him telling her to like there was a lot of like very self like both of them I think were both very selfish in their own rights like she was kind of like there's an abuse of power there where she kind of took advantage of a king's guard and then he's being selfish in the sense of like hey leave the entire kingdom that you're about to inherit just to come off with me just so I can get my honor back like <laughs> I, I think that there's like just two that's just like two people who like probably should have had a conversation before getting on but uh, <laughs> I, I think that her like her decision to bring it up in the way that she did or to like, not maybe like have a better conversation. Not that she really had a choice since like he brought it up in the way that he did. But I think that there might've, there should have been a better time for them to maybe discuss what was going on and like their, their situation and what their choices were. All righty then.
0: I am going to jump in and do my answer. Uh, I think that, uh, the, Most interesting decision for me is uh, the same one Constance brought up, which is the going and establishing polyamory as a valid form of relationship for them. Uh, That they could have a partnership, but they could have other relationships, uh, each with their own specific definitions of what's needed and what have you. Uh, with upfront communication and all that jazz. And it was just very, very forward-thinking. And of course, arrangements exist in this world. She wasn't making it up for the first time. She'd probably heard about people in her family before having such uh, arrangements and marriages. But the fact that she went forward with it Fully aware of what her cousin's situation was. Fully aware of what he would want. And she doesn't come at it saying, I want this. She comes at it saying, I know you don't want this. (laughs) Let's, 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 let's figure it out together and find a way that fits both of us and create Not compromise, but best of both worlds. Uh, And just her tactical skill and compassion is just unmatched. And and reminds me in this case a lot of um, uh, what Marjorie Tyrell. Right, we don't see the conversation between Marjorie Tyrell and. Blank, a Baratheon. Baratheon, uh, but we know that that's the kind of relationship she allows him. Except she's a little less, uh, she's a little more selfless. She doesn't really like seek her own gain. She just wants to do her duty and let him do whatever he wants. Whereas, you know, Rhaenyra is a princess. She she wants her. She wants to get her dues. <laughs> But yeah, the the whole idea of best of both worlds and just going for it is just really what struck me most for her decisions. Now, moving on to our next question, which we've all, which a few of us have touched on already, um, which is what the hell is going on in Kristen Cole's head? Um, And again, just like uh, Rhaenyra. You can discuss different sections of time that he that he's making his decisions, his actions. Uh, but yeah, tell us what you think is going on in Kristen Cole's head. Uh, this time, we're going to start with Solar.
4: All right. So <clears throat> what's going on in Sura of Idiot Face? Um, I'm looking at the character as a whole, okay? Um... He is pretty much one of, he is from one of the lower houses. Um, He is the closest thing that we get to one of the jumped up small folks, kind of like Sir Davos, okay? And I see him caught up in the propaganda of what it means to be a knight and what it means to have honor and all that stuff. Going, I came from nothing, I got everything, and I screwed it all up. And him kind of scrambling to hold on to a belief system um that isn't living up to the real world you know um it's not really living up to the li- the experience that he has in life the universe and everything and he's just grasping onto this belief system you know do i believe that he's in love with Renera? um Honestly, I think I think he caught some feelings for Ray Ray, but not enough to be like forsake everything and run away with me where I can be a farmer and you can help me milk cows. You know, <laughs> I, I don't think that um, I, I don't think that he loved her that much, nor did I think that he thinks she loves him that much. But it was, I screwed up and I gave up everything. And if you love me, you will give up everything too. And she's like, this ain't love. Like, you you knew what this was before we came in, but come on, man, We we can do this. Like, you don't have to do your vow of chastity and you'd be banging a queen. Everybody wants to bang a queen. Like, queen has no problem catching a dick and I'm saying I'm reaching for yours. Come on, bruh. And he's like, no, it goes against my system of beliefs that aren't serving me very well and all of this stuff. So, you know, honestly, I see him in a very... Cla- um, what was it in a deleted scene of the godfather he said um don't be ashamed of your wealth because shame uh or disdain for money is the rich people's way of making sure that the poor doesn't get it and since he is from one of the lower houses and the lower classes um his illusion or illusions to what it means to be a knight and to have honor and all of those fairy tales bumping his head against real life just had him spun. Like what I was watching there was a dude whose entire paradigm just broke. You know, that, that's what I saw.
3: So I think that uh, uh, Christian Cole's mindset was that he saw an opportunity to redeem what he lost. He's like, his, his honor, it's the same thing with Rob Stark marrying because he got a girl pregnant rather than actually falling in love with her. He felt that this was his duty to, his honor demanded that he marry her to satisfy that concept. And so this is the same kind of thing. He's like, I've been sleeping with you. My honor demands that I make you my wife. Come away with me and let's go do this. She's like, no, that, that doesn't make sense. Why would I give up what I have? It's like what Solar was saying. You could... You could still be my guard and bang me and we'll have a good time. We don't have to change anything. But he couldn't accept that. She was rejecting his worldview and in such rejecting him. And so when we get to the wedding, when Joffrey starts basically making threats, well, thinly veiled threats. I don't know if he meant to be threatening, but it came across as threatening. Like the, I know what you're doing with her. And if you want to keep this up, then we're going to make an arrangement whether you like it or not. He saw that as the final affront to his honor that somebody found out other than the queen. It's one thing when you confess. It's another thing when someone comes to you with what they know you did. And he saw no way out. There was no keeping his honor at that point. And I think he lost control. I don't, i you know, I'm, I'm bisexual, but I can't speak about from a gay perspective completely. But I thought it was more or less Christian saw his honor was completely stained. And this was the person that did the final, the final straw was, was Joffrey which is why he beat him into oblivion. It was hard to watch. And now that Morgan points it out, there probably was a perspective of that in there, that, 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 that cis male fear of the, the the homosexual, which I hope wasn't the case. I don't think the director intended that, but if they did, it came across pretty strong. Um, so I think that it was it was more or less his honor was his main motivation and having that last little bit stripped away from him by somebody else that he didn't know that he thought was an outsider did it in for him. Uh, so that's that's my take. It's not the strongest, but that's that's what I thought he was thinking.
1: But you, Sam. I mean, there's a whole lot not happening in Chris Inkole's head. I mean, he's like feel like a very one track mind of like of like my honor but my honor it's my honor and like i i feel like he's gripping onto that so much and just like it's the only thing that's on his mind so like if if, if anything around him is messing with that honor and it doesn't go his way it's like all of a sudden he's just like losing it over just honor and you know that like every, all the pieces were setting up for a perfect you know power couple of Rhaenyra and Laenor having like a good like agreement with each other and they were just gonna like run Westeros both of them have their side thing going on everything was gonna be all good and then Kristen though had to ruin it with his honor like how many times have we seen a story in Westeros just kind of like go to shit because someone was like yeah but what about my honor so I think like kind of like Solar was saying I think that he just like has fallen into this like I think this the honor has been put on a pedestal for like especially low born like you know, people who don't have nobility in their family who aren't knights. They're like they see nobil or uh, the honor is like the only way for them to reach certain heights, so I think that he like has really fallen into that like just I think he's in that pit, basically. Um but yeah, that's kind of what I think is going on in uh Kristen Cole's head. What about you, Uzma?
2: Before this episode it felt like Christian uh, Cole was very honourable. Uh, I really liked him uh, in that. Uh, but uh, in this episode, he seemed really petty and selfish to me. Like uh, Solar said earlier, if you are going, if you felt gu- guilty and you are going to kill yourself, just jump <laughs> off the moon door. But uh, if uh, he was like, no, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to die. But I'll take you down with me he didn't have to ne- uh, tell uh, alison about it and things won't have gotten worse uh, but he did and i think that's what his uh, that's what his motivation was yes uh, a part of it was honor and part of his he he was selfish that he was only thinking about uh, his honor like correcting his mistakes he wasn't thinking about trainera. so in that sense i that's why it felt to me that he doesn't really love her because uh, if he loved her, he probably would have thought about from her from point of view. He would have thought about what she wants, but he was like, no, uh, uh, I made this mistake and now you uh, you should run away with me and help me correct my mistake. So <laughs> I didn't really like uh, Kristen Cole in this. What about you, Morgan?
0: Yeah, I think Kristen Cole in this episode really proves like like Solar was saying that he's in a world that is not his own, right? He the hop, the hopped up small folk, right? He he doesn't know what's going on. He's going off the stories of what he thinks is supposed to be how the world works. But he doesn't know how this world works. At all. And he's just knows that he's the hero of the story. Obviously. He he is the knight. So everything is really about him. Now, this shows very well when the queen is talking about Rhaenyra and (laughs) Daemon. But she doesn't specifically say Daemon. And so... What does he do? He inserts himself into the story in his own head. He is the center of the story. He is the main character. Therefore, everything that she is saying and everything that anybody is saying is about him, his honor, his reputation, his cloak. Well, the shoe fit, you know, <laughs> so he he put it on. It did. Yeah. The shoe fits, you put it on, you marry the prince. Wait, <laughs> yeah. um, yeah,
4: no, uh, I gotta disagree with you on that one, Morgan. Having been someone who's made massive mistakes in their lives, and somebody is talking to me about something completely different. That whole thing of, oh man, they know, they know, I just got busted. I just got busted. I Oh, you're talking about that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that's the thing. That that's definitely the thing. That's what I saw with him. Because um mm-hmm. he didn't know about Um, he didn't really know about the rumor. That had gone on. And the daemon stuff. Yeah. So he didn't know what she was talking about. So when she was like, yeah, you know, there have been some stuff and uh, there have been some talk about the princess and kind of giving it up a little easy. And he's like, yo, no, you're right. It was me. I did it. <laughs> and she was like, what? <laughs> like, <"W-> what? <laughs> you know, so I saw, I saw the guilt messing him up. I think if he had known about the Damon thing, it would have gone completely different. So I don't think that was him oh, inserting yeah. everything. I think that was him I, seeing that he got busted when he actually didn't. You know, you know.
0: You know, I don't I don't agree with you there. I, I kinda I kinda see where you're coming from. I think it would have gone a little bit different, but I think when you're when when this particular man is faced with a decision about honor or dishonor, he doesn't really focus on the honor. Mm-hmm. Because guess what? Running away with the princess is not actually regaining his honor. It's not. It's about getting what he wants, which is her all to himself, and not having to deal with the consequences of breaking his honor. No. Everything that he's focusing on is the consequence, not the honor. The the perspective of other people, how it affects him. It's not about whether he is honorable or not. It's about the perception of... That he is honorable and whether he has to live with it or not. Oh,
4: I'm not arguing. And, I'm I'm not arguing that he was fighting for his honor. I'm just saying, I don't think that he was. I don't think that he was making himself the main character of the story out of egotism when he was talking with Queen Alison.
0: Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know that's all. No, no, I, I get that. <laughs> I understand. What I'm saying is that even if Alison had been clear that she was talking about Damon. Mm-hmm. I'm almost certain he still would have come forward because it was his story. He's like, "What? No, Damon didn't didn't do that." Ah. Uh. That's me. <laughs> I'm the hero of the story. I got the princess. Uh because it's not really about honor. It's about and at that point he's being self-deprecating because he's been rejected. And the best way that a good story like this ends is you get rejected and you die. <laughs> and what does he do for the rest of the episode? He tries to die.
4: Oh, he broods like Achilles in his tent.
0: <laughs> right, well he tells Alicent, hey, kill me. I did it. He then starts a fight in the middle of a wedding reception. He then literally goes to kill himself. <clears throat> Everything he does is a death wish because the girl he wanted didn't say yes. All right, that's the end of my rant there. Moving on to my last question. What is the greatest mistake anybody made other than (laughs) Rhaenyra and Kristen Cole?
4: You mean in this episode?
0: In this episode. Oh, no, th- that played out in this episode. Even if the decision was made earlier, but the effects were felt in this episode, that still counts. Oh. This
1: tyrant, I swear. <laughs>
0: I am a tyrant. Deal with it. <laughs> By the way, you're going next. Oh,
1: you get oh, for speaking no. out. <laughs> I did it to myself. <laughs> I played myself. Okay, Greatest mistake that played out.
4: Stick a quarter in your butt, crack son.
1: Um okay, I guess if I'm going with not Kristen Rainera, I guess the worst mistake that was made was probably Raya Royce mentioning uh Damon's impotence. Yeah. <laughs> probably not the best idea. I mean, she was already probably not in the best situation, but probably, like, you know, there might have been a chance she might have made it after that. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with... uh, If I got to pick something else besides Kristen and Rainier, I'm going with Rhea Royce. Yeah. Uh, Constance, what about you?
3: Viserys listening to the High Septon. Mm -hmm. Clearly, he's not getting any better. The leeches, the... Maggots. Oh,
4: the Grand Maester. You the mean. Grand
3: Maester, yeah. yeah. I <laughs> think the high that had. Oh, sorry, High Maester. <laughs> wrong, wrong. Old Town related character. <laughs> both of which are controlled by the high towers. Yeah, it's the the High Maester with his, his course of leeches, which was you know, takes us back to an old Blackadder joke. Um, <laughs> the the younger apprentice seems to have a much more medically oriented tactic like let's use the herbs let's do these medical polstices that have been effective in the past but the high master's like nope you know leeches so i think listening to him uh, clearly it's you know he's 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 rotting away viserys is just eating it himself with with i'm i'm guessing the diabetes is a very likely tactic
2: do you think that's on purpose? Uh, because there's a pro- popular uh, rumor among the fans that Melos is working with the High Towers, and they are purposefully not treating Viserys, so he would slowly, eventually die. I would agree with
3: that. That's that's why I think that trusting the, the Grand Master is a mistake.
0: What were you gonna say, Morgan? I was gonna say the Grand Maester is like, yeah, the leeching has worked so well in the past.
4: <laughs> Let's right. keep doing it.
0: <laughs> right, right. So that's right. And I'm looking at him. I'm like, obviously, it no. has. Yeah, he's
1: lost two fingers for God's sake. It's Like least. it's not oh, no. working.
4: <laughs> yeah. No, it's it, it's working perfectly. If you're looking like you're trying to, um, <laughs> looking like you're trying to help the king is your purpose. <laughs> if you want to look like you're working. Then, it's, and then they do their job.
3: Yeah. <laughs> nope. So that's, that's my number one uh, mistake is, is trusting the Grand Maester with your medical decisions. Uh, so that's, that's my theory. Um, uh, Usma, what do you think? What is your big mistake in this episode?
2: Would a decision count if it was done purposefully? Like with the intention for the consequences?
0: I mean, if you think it was a mistake whether they did it on purpose or not.
2: <laughs> I think it will be Larys telling uh, Alicent about the tea uh, that Mr. Melos brought to Renira, because that was the key moment when uh, Alicent actually felt the, uh, the Targaryen's betrayal, and that's when we sh- she decided that she will uh, fight her own battle. So <clears throat> I think that it was, if uh, Larys hadn't told her, the results would have been very different. What do you think, Constance? Uh, sorry, Morgan?
0: Uh, first of all, I would think on that one, that's exactly what he wanted, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think the uh, the greatest mistake that played out in this episode is Alicent doing her father's fucking bidding. <laughs> going and i mean fucking uh going going to the king then marrying the king then having the king's children i'm just saying otto hightower has this long speech that apparently a lot of the audience have seen and said oh my god he's not that bad after all and all i could think during that entire speech was dude (laughs) you set her up You said, go do this. Create these children who you'll have to protect later. And then face the harsh reality that your children who you made at my behest, whom you love, are in danger because you made them at my behest. (laughs) That there is nothing safe for them in this world. And you brought them into a world where they are doomed if you do not go to war with your former best friend because I'm a good father. Greatest mistake that played out in this episode and everything that has happened in this episode was very closely related to it was her listening to good old daddy-o. Alright, what about you, Solar?
4: Sometimes I think you and I share a brain. (laughs) Um, I'm on the same track, like, literally same line, different train. I think the biggest mistake that played out in this episode was King Viserys not marrying the child had he married liana um <laughs> yeah seriously you just he had to say married, you just had to say it like that too <laughs> well you know what he had to choose between a child and a teenager and had he picked the damn child none of this would be an issue none of it um there'd be no there wouldn't be any kids on um Through the high towers, Otto's council would have, I wouldn't say fallen on deaf ears, but Otto wouldn't have had to look at his daughter saying, I need you to be my political pawn while I'm away. Now go start a war like a good little pawn. I want you to be my rook. You know, Um, none of that would have been good had he listened to freaking Harwin Strong and married into the Valerian line and united the houses in the first fucking place. You know, when he listened to the new hand of the king, when he was like, dude, this is the smart political play. OK, bring the ships and the dragons together, show strength in the world, take care of the stepstones, all that jazz. You can do that by marrying and not banging a child. OK, that's it. That, that's all you got. That's all you got to do. You know, take the little girl that you can pick up and, you know, uh, looking at her mom and her dad, she's going to be hot anyway. So, you know, just, you know. But she's 12 today. (laughs) But, you know, six, seven years from now, you're going to be styling. It's called long-term high-yield investment. You know, (laughs) so yeah
0: yeah he still chose the 15 year old so yeah
4: yeah, exactly so (laughs) that moral thing is just out the window so it's like if you're going to marry a child marry the one that would have united the kingdoms instead of the one from your very loyal hand you know the one that's t- the one that's telling you get your brother out of here, get close to my daughter. Don't listen to the person who's also Valerian and who's trying to prevent war by going into a skirmish. You know, I mean seriously, that that was. I could go as far back as to say naming Otto High Tower Hand, but I'm not going to go that far. The last point of no return. That was the biggest mistake. The one that's un untake. Uh, no Taxi Baxies, was marrying Allison instead of Leanna. I mean, seriously, that, that's where I'm at. Because um, had he done so, Rhaenyra wouldn't be getting married to her big gay cousin. And they wouldn't have been doing the cool little dance that's, that ended with a mock sword fight. And Kristen Cole wouldn't have uh, beat someone's face. in. They, they wouldn't have been there. <laughs> it just would have been another Wednesday in Westeros at the hour of the bat. That, that's really what it had been. So that, that's, that's my my observation of the biggest mistake was the last one, the last really big one. So,
0: All right.
1: Those are my questions for today. Back to you, Sam. Awesome. Thank you, Morgan. And for our final segment, we have fans of the dragon where Uzma and Constance will give us trivia polls about the world of ice and fire and questions and comments from you, the listeners. All you Uzma and Constance.
3: All right. Uh, We usually start off with this week's trivia question. Uh, what is the House Valerian theme song for this episode? Uh, we mentioned it during Raven's Eye. It's the one that should have been playing when their family entourage walks in. What was that song?
2: Uh, so, Usma, what do we have for this week's poll? I know I voted. <laughs> for this week, uh, I posted polls on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. So, uh, let's take a look uh- the question for this uh, poll is, who do you think is the least honorable character in episode five? And on Twitter, <laughs> 41% people voted for Daemon Targaryen, and 276 each voted for Otto Hightower and Alison Hightower. <laughs> I'm just surprised how Renira is getting so few votes. <laughs> <laughs> because like, she's
0: amazing. <laughs>
2: It's good to be future queen. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and on Facebook, thirty nine percent people voted for Damon, and thirty uh, six percent voted for Otto Hightower. Tower. So that Damon, guy. Still <laughs> <laughs> Damon still wins. Damon still wins, but not by a huge gap. <laughs> And uh, I really like the comment of Amanda, who said, uh, "I love how no one voted for Christian." (laughs) That's true. He got four
3: percent. There was a couple. Oh,
2: exactly. A few votes. (laughs) And Rainira
3: still got three (laughs) percent. I guess nobody saw anything wrong with what she was doing, considering they were just puppets and somebody else was pulling the strings. So,
0: my write-in of Laris (laughs) did not get got one other vote.
4: hey I'm glad y'all are leaving the valerians out of this <laughs> like the whole family <laughs> Valerian is just cool <clears throat> you know from from princess Nisi to to Corliss they're just like yo man we over here so yeah
2: <laughs> and even on YouTube uh, Damon got the most food 55 57 percent so yes Damon wins this one <laughs> but I like I've discussed earlier, I still think he did not go there with the purpose of killing his wife. <laughs> that meme was made just for you. But I don't... The, what, what, what crimes of Damon shall we excuse this week? Specifically for Uzma. <laughs> so what do you guys think about this poll?
3: Uh, I'm still voting for Otto. He's he's the manipulator. And I think
2: uh, Morgan voted for Laris. <laughs> Yep. Wrote Laris in.
0: I voted. One other person agreed with me. That makes it valid.
4: Um, I didn't take the poll, but looking at it now, I got to say Damon as well. I really do. Um, I mean, just, just, yeah. Um, don't get me wrong. Otto Hightower. Fuck that guy is very, very close. You know, very close. Um but yeah, Damon just kind of ekes him out just a little bit with not denying that he banged his niece. <laughs> you know, I mean, I didn't mind the whole killing of the wife thing. It reminded me very much of the bridge scene um, from, I think it was Storm of Swords um, when it came to um, the Greyjoy brothers. But
2: you're um, on. Yeah, you're Yeah,
4: exactly. Um But really, I'm just like, look, um, I love Daemon Targaryen, too. I really do. I like his character. Mm -hmm. But the reason that I like his character is because he makes it very clear that honor is not on his menu. He doesn't fake it. He's just like, I am what I am, and I am blood of the Conqueror. So I do what I want. I do what I I got long neck dragon. I do what I want. So I I'm definitely there. So I can say that he is less honorable because he's not even trying for it.
2: But he always owns up to his actions. Like, uh, he never denies that he ne- didn't do it.
4: In, but in, in turn of anybody's actions. <laughs> Thank you. Every accusation. He's like, yeah, I did it. Did I bang my knees? Fine. Did I kill my wife? Sure. Did I have sex with that pig in the throne room? Okay. You know, it, it's just whatever you got. What what, what are you going to accuse me of this week? Oh, okay. Um, I, 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 I killed... I am blood of the dragon, so so consequences don't matter yeah. and you know what if you think i killed one of the seven by beating it to death with a cow i did that too whatever <laughs> i am, he's like eminem you know he, he is whatever you say he is <laughs> you know and that that's it um and in a strange way that makes him a little more honorable than a lot of other people in king's landing but um in truth, Otto Hightower at least has some rules, and that makes him just a tiny bit more honorable than than Damon and again, fuck that guy but um but <laughs> honor isn't a um deciding factor for me, but yeah, sorry, I gotta say Damon is the least honorable in my eyes, and I think he's cool with that because I think he's cool with every accusation, you know. <laughs> You know, a lot like Braun. It's like, yeah, you have no honor, Damon. I do not. <laughs> but I got a dragon, so suck it. You know, that's where he's coming from.
3: All right. I think it's that time. Are we ready? Three, two, one. Who's that? Who's that? Dragon! Dragon!
1: Dragon! Dragon! Dragon!
3: that was actually better than most. Yeah. You
4: whoa, know, whoa. I think if we do it really slow, Jordan can speed it up and sink it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> all right. Kind so, of like
4: Alvin and Chipmunks. Oh, know? God.
3: Put her <laughs> all high-pitched voices. Oh, my God. Um, Where's that <laughs> Okay. <laughs> uh, so this week's Dragemon is the Silver Queen that belonged to the good queen herself, Alassane Targaryen. She was docile and as beloved as her mistress, and she often curled together with the mighty dragon Vermithor, who was ridden by King Jaehaerys. So husband and wife and dragon and dragon all bonded together in perfect little cute peaceful happy harmony if they weren't brother and sister it would be absolutely adorable Um, but the egg was hatched in the cradle of princess Targaryen in the year 36 after conquest and they were bonded together in flight as early as 48 after conquest Alassane married her brother Jaehaerys who would later be known as the great conciliator and king and the two would often fly their dragons together as they went about on progress in 54 AC, our dragon alighted atop the high tower in Old Town and fanned the flames of the beacon with her wings, which made the city draw breath in collective fear. What could it mean if a dragon could extinguish the flame of the high tower itself? But it was for naught, and the beacon burned bright. It was just a little frightening to see that a dragon could possibly take out the high tower. Hint of things to come? Who knows? Uh, in 56, the sh- when the dragon started to be massively housed at the dragon pit our DragiMon remained close to alasan's side in fact they flew all the way to the wall in 58 ac and stopped at various points along the way it was noted that the dragon did not like the wall and refused to fly over again hints of things to come in 93 ac alasan rode her dragon for the last time and wept with the pain of the effort She passed away in the year 100, and our dragon remained riderless and retreated to Dragonstone, where she waited. There will become a time when all dragons are needed, and the Silvery Beast will take flight once more. This week, our Dragemon? Silverwing. And with that, kick it back to you, Sam.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Constance. Well, that is our episode. Thank you for listening. Follow us on Facebook at AWPOIAF and Twitter at Ice and Fire Party and email us at watchpartyoficeandfire@gmail.com. at gmail.com uh, If you are watching on YouTube feel free to comment below and a big thank you to our producer and our Lord of Editing Jordan Reynolds for editing and putting the episode together. Uh, be sure to check out our allies Watch Party Lord of the Rings for the Ring of Power series. Uh, every Saturday they'll be releasing a hot take of the latest Ring of Power episode and on Sundays a big live stream at 11.30am Pacific Time in collaboration with fellowship of the fans featuring a newbie panel with no book spoilers a lore panel uh tolkien artists cosplay and custom food and drink recipes made by yours truly uh people can call in participate live and the stream will then be posted on their podcast a few days later so let up old toby and jump on in we also have our friends at watch party of will time who are taking a little hiatus while house of the dragon and ring of power air but there are still 41 episodes to enjoy this has been a production of the Watch Party Network. Thank you, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we are your hosts, Solar, Valar Morgulis, but not today. Constance,
3: as strong as stone.
1: Uzma,
2: Valar Morgulis. Morgan, goodbye, everybody,
1: and myself, Sam. Valar Morgulis.